0: Welcome to the Brush with Brit podcast. I'm your host, Britt, and I'm thrilled to have you join me on this exciting journey into the world of dentistry. With a decade of experience in the dental field, I bring a wealth of knowledge and expertise to help guide you on your path. Having spent eight years as a registered dental assistant, followed by three years as a dental hygienist, I've had the privilege of gaining practical experience in both roles. Beyond my clinical practice, I'm passionate about mentorship, guiding others, and advocating for dental hygienists and patients. Through this podcast, my aim is to create a supportive space where you can learn, grow, and relate to the ups and downs of being a dental professional. Whether you're looking to expand your knowledge, enhance your skills, or simply stay up-to-date with the latest trends in dentistry, you've come to the right place. Together, let's embark on a journey of personal and professional development, empowering you to become the best dental professional you can be. In this episode, we're going to be reviewing the importance of oral cancer screenings and how you can implement them in your practice. This is something that as a new grad, I definitely struggled with. I've been right there with you. You know, you have to get past the hurdles of learning how to be confident in oral cancer screenings and it's something that I am still building on today. Susan Cotton is a good friend of mine who is an advocate for oral cancer screenings and educating your patients on the risk factors and everything that comes with oral cancer. She is somebody that I have looked up to since day one and I have always been motivated by her to provide our patients with life-saving screenings like oral cancer screenings, hypertension screenings. I hope that you gain the confidence to start providing your patients with oral cancer screenings and get inspired to become more educated and more familiar with how to perform an oral cancer screening and how to educate your patients on oral cancer. Without further ado, let's get into this week's episode of Brush with Brit. It is so hard to stay on time when practicing clinically. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Color Method by Zerk Dental Products. It helps me stay organized, which ultimately leads me to being more efficient and it saves me time. Color Method is a color coded organizational system that helps in the management and location of instruments and materials in the dental office. If you're thinking, Brit, I don't have time for that, or the boss won't let us, Zerk has everything you need to guide you through the process including clinical coaches that will help you organize your office. To learn more about the Color Method, visit colormethod.com and enter code BRIT for 25% off the Silver Consulting Plan. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the Brush with Brit podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Brett. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here
1: with you today.
0: I'm so excited to learn from you. I haven't gotten the chance to take one of your continuing education courses on oral cancer screenings, and I can't wait until the day that I do. I would love if you could let the audience know where your passion behind uh, educating on oral cancer screenings comes from.
1: You know, right out of dental hygiene school, I was very thorough. I screened every patient, every time, extra orally, intraorally. And I graduated from University of Colorado School of Dental Medicine, Department of Dental Hygiene in 1994. So I was, I was thorough, but as time went on, things got busy. They added technology to our operatories and a lot of things started to change. And what I did, Brett, I allowed the busyness of my day, a late patient, production-driven procedures take precedence over this life-saving evaluation that we are privileged to get to do on our patients. Now, I always screamed, and I say that in quotation marks, but I wasn't always thorough. I always grasped the tongue and checked the tongue when I was in that situation, running late, a patient was late, and that became my justification. Well, I'm looking at the area that's most common for oral cancer. And I wasn't palpating extra orally. I wasn't doing a thorough oral cancer evaluation. In 2008, a new patient came to our practice and I got to be her dental hygienist. She had previously been diagnosed with HPV, oral pharyngeal cancer. And in 2008, I said, What's HPV, oral pharyngeal cancer? We were just on the cusp of starting to hear about HPV and throat cancer at that time. I knew HPV and cervical cancer, but not oral pharyngeal cancer. And for the next couple of years, I was trying to learn more about HPV, to become educated on that. And, but yet I was still those times when I was pressed for time, not doing a comprehensive screening. In 2010, she came in to see me for one of her maintenance appointments and I brought her back and you know how we get, we get close with our patients and she'd become one of my favorite patients. I brought her back, sat down, we were catching up like we always do and she started to cry. I'm going to try and not cry. I I get teary-eyed when I talk about this But she started to cry and she looked at me and she said, Susan, I'm going to a good friend's wedding this weekend. And all I want to be able to do is to go and take pictures, smile, laugh out loud like everybody else does. I just want to be able to smile without the constant fear that somebody will see what my teeth look like because the cancer, throat cancer, had destroyed her mouth and her teeth. And she smiled with her lips closed and she would talk purposely covering her teeth. And it just hit me in the gut because while I, as her hygienist, while I knew what that cancer had done to her mouth, until that moment, I didn't know what that cancer had done to her entire life and how it affected everything that she did and her self-confidence. And she was embarrassed because she had a cancer that was caused by the most common sexually transmitted infection in the world. That's a different topic, destigmatizing HPV. She was going to her good friend's wedding, and I had my own big event I was going to that weekend. I was headed to Las Vegas, baby, and I was going to spend it, my sister and I, with Donnie Osmond at his fan club get together. Of course, Donnie and I are the same age. He grew up on my bedroom wall. His posters covered my bedroom wall growing up as a teenager. And I've just always been in love with Donnie Osmond. August of 2010, my sister and I were going to his fan club get together at the Flamingo Resort in Las Vegas. And it was going to be a weekend doing fun things with Donnie. And it was. At the start of this weekend, there were about three to 400 of us crazy Donnie fans at this event. And at the beginning, we were in the Flamingo showroom where he and Marie had their show. He pulled up a chair on stage and he just sat there for a minute and was quiet and looked at all of us. And he said, what do you wanna do to make a difference in your community? I want you to think about that. My assistants will be walking around this weekend and asking you, what what would you like to do? He said, towards the end, we'll be back here in the Flamingo showroom. I'm going to pick 15 of those ideas. You'll come up here on stage. You'll tell me and everybody else what you want to do. And then I'm going to narrow it to 10. And those 10 will be a part of my inaugural Donnie Osmond Make a Difference program for the next year. Well, I knew immediately what I wanted to do. Two days before, I'd had that heartbreaking conversation with one of my favorite patients. So I wanted to raise awareness about HPV and oral cancer. And that's what I submitted. Long story short, I was one of the 15 called up on stage. We had, I think, 30 seconds to tell Donnie and everybody else what we wanted to do. And I was one of the 10 selected to be a part of his program. And so up on stage, he gave the 10 of us $300 seed money to get started. With our program, he gave us a camera and he said, document everything that you do in the next year to make a difference, take pictures. Oh, and I'm gonna ask two things of you. First is come back next year and present what you did. The second thing is I want your cell phone numbers because I'm going to call each of you once a month for the next year and see what you're doing, how things are going. And to have your teen idol heartthrob say they're going to call you once a month for the next year, (laughs) is like my 13-year-old self was going, (laughs) but my adult self said, sure. Yeah, I bet you'll call us. Well, he did. Once a month, I got a call from Donnie. And um, that next year, we did go back. And um, nine of us presented what we did. But here's what happened that year. And that really, it was those two events, my patient and being selected for that program that really got me started. So I went back Monday morning to my office and I shared with the two dentists that I worked with, I said, Here was the conversation with our patient before I went. Here's what happened this weekend. I said, Will you work with me so we can get our patient a new smile? And they said, Absolutely, let's do it. Nine months later, she had a new smile. She could go wherever she wanted to go, smile, take pictures and didn't have that fear of what her teeth looked like. The other things that happened that year is I found the Oral Cancer Foundation and I got connected with them. And I saw that, gosh, they sponsor, they help you put on an oral cancer walk. And so I put on the first Colorado oral cancer walk that year. It happened, I think it was June of 2011. So right before we went back to Vegas. And I started offering free oral cancer screenings at our dental office once a month on my day off. And I started attending health fairs and just local um, city fairs offering free oral cancer screenings because in Colorado, I could do that as a hygienist. And so that's what um, I did during the program. But what that did, Britt, is it got me so passionate about this. First of all, I wasn't screening thoroughly. So I knew as a hygienist, I needed to go back to that regardless of if a patient was late, if I was short on time. It just wasn't an option. That would never happen again. I would never cut that short. It, I just couldn't do it. So when I started to screen thoroughly again, I was like, you know what? I'm not confident extra orally? Am I palpating correctly? Am I really where the thyroid is? You know, just all of these questions. So I needed mentors. And over the years, I've worked with ENTs, head and neck surgeons, and to get confident in doing that. And then clinically, I thought, okay, so I really need to know more about oral cancer, HPV, tobacco and alcohol, and then quid came um, to the forefront as well, but what we know now too is there are signs and symptoms associated with oral cancer, any head and neck cancers that might be present before we ever see anything in the mouth. And, and what we know now is there's additional risk factors for oral cancer, not so much causes. Really important to distinguish these two. There's the etiologies, you know, HPV, tobacco, alcohol, betel quid those things we know are absolutely associated with that cancer, but additional risk factors, obesity, immunocompromised, periodontitis, where we live, that is a risk factor for oral cancer. Chronic mechanical irritation, you know, um, a fractured tooth. And so what, doing all the research and having mentors and learning all this, I thought, I just developed my way of screening. And I had one of my first business coaches, Jamie Dooley. She's the director of National Network for Healthcare Hygienists. I was talking with her and she said, you have to call this the cotton method of screening. And I said, oh, I can't do that. She said, no, this is the cotton method. That's how the cotton method came to be. Um, Jamie insisted I give it a name and call it that. And so I did, you know. But anyway, that's what got me going on this. And talking with dental hygiene friends, they're like, yeah, I'm not confident palpating extra orally either. And, you know, am I doing this right interorally? And with HPV, looking at the oral pharynx and documenting that tonsil grade um there's just so much more to it than when i graduated from hygiene school and so that's that's what got me going was that i wasn't doing everything clinically that i should have been doing i was right out of hygiene school but then i let myself lapse
0: a lot of hygienists can can relate to that you know especially with legacy errors and maybe being taught a certain way how to do an appointment and that oral cancer screening isn't happening. And then you just continue a cycle and kind of get stuck in that um, without really realizing, oh, you know, I haven't been doing that for years now or whatever it is. So I think a lot of clinicians can definitely relate to that part and also not feeling confident when you are doing it and like trying to figure out, okay, well, what am I even feeling for? is this something that's worth bringing up? Do I mention this? Like, do I take a photo of this? Do I say something to the doctor? All of that can be feel like a lot of pressure and also just like confusing at the same time. Right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, one thing I had
1: been at this office for a long time and I thought, okay, what do I say to my patients, my longtime patients who I haven't been doing the extra oral on, what do I say to them? That, sorry, I've sucked at this and now I'm going to be better. No, it's, my dad was a veterinarian and I worked with my dad for a lot of years. And so I drew on what I learned from him to reintroduce. And I hope this helps somebody to reintroduce that comprehensive screening. I said, you know, like, um, Bob, what we know now is it's not just tobacco and alcohol, we have um, the human papilloma virus, other things that cause oral and throat cancer and other signs and symptoms that we're going to watch for and there's additional risk factors. So you're going to notice me doing some things differently with the oral cancer screening. And they're like, oh, okay. So it's these are my what I call my Susanisms. What we know now, great way to introduce anything that's new or different. And you'll notice me doing some things differently.
0: Yeah, I think another uh, good tip too, especially if you're either like a new grad or somebody that is just now seeing patients for the first time, letting them know, okay, I'm going to go ahead and start with an oral cancer screening. I'm going to be feeling around for any lumps, bumps, or anything that is hurting. And I think just going, they already know that they're seeing a new clinician, so they are expecting some things to maybe be a little bit different. So I have found that 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 works pretty well, especially when you're seeing a a new patient for the first time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you
1: know, speaking of new grads, um, I, I speak to a lot of dental hygiene schools And I emphasize to them, you know, when you're interviewing for a job, and I know, I think you've talked about this too, they're not just interviewing us, but we're interviewing them as well. You know, and we want to know how long we get for appointments, you know, what's their perio protocol, all of these different things. One thing to ask is, what are your standards around the oral cancer screening? That's a great question. they had a neck exam, are you doing it? Who does it? Is it both the dentist and the hygienist or is it just one of the providers? What's your documentation template look like? What's your referral process? What's your follow-up process? Because this puts us at risk for liability. It's huge. We can and will get called in To litigation, if anything should happen, if you've seen that patient, it's not just going to be the dentist. So if we're doing everything ethically that we should be doing, that comprehensive evaluation, documenting, referring when we should, we're covering our liability, but we're increasing early detection, early detection when we're doing it all right and ultimately you know, saving a life.
0: Is there a recommendation, like should it be both, let's say it's a recare where that patient is getting a prophylaxis and a periodic exam, should it be both the hygienist and the doc performing an oral cancer screening, ideally?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I know the dentists in my office at the time, they said, you know what, you do it so much better than I do. And you're confident you're going to do it. I know offices where both the dentist and the hygienist do it. So I I think that's a conversation that needs to be had between providers and how they want to do it. Ideally, should it be both? Yeah, I think so. Do we have, cause that's two sets of, or two sets of eyes and hands evaluating, right? We usually have two sets of eyes and hands evaluating for restorative decay, all of those things, right? So why not? But if it comes down to time or the dentist isn't feeling confident, you know, have, if the hygienist is, have the hygienist do it and then report the findings to the dentist. But then that dentist has to listen to what the hygienist is reporting and, and going along with the hygienist recommendation. One of the most common questions I get, in fact, I don't know of a course that I haven't gotten this question, hygienists will say, Susan, what do I do when I found something and I... I believe that this patient needs to be referred, but the dentist says, oh, it doesn't look like anything, we'll watch it. Well, you're not really watching it, you're just choosing to do nothing because how can you watch it if the patient's not there, right? A true watch is come back in two weeks, we'll evaluate it. If it's still there, we're referring you. That's a true watch. But what I tell them if they if they ask me that what do I do well that's a that's a conversation that needs to be had with the dentist and go to them and say use this structure I feel I think I want and I learned this in a workshop that I took when I was working in medical dental integration as a hygienist here in Colorado and it's a framework for a difficult conversation. I feel, I think, I want. Doctor, so-and-so, I'm feeling concerned for our patient, for the office, and for our liability as dentists and hygienists. And I think it's because such and such patient had this lesion, and I felt it needed to be referred, but what was said, we'll watch it. Well, how, how are we going to watch it? That patient won't be coming back for six months. So that's, I feel, I think, I want. What I'd like is for us to get on the same page. And I'd like us to call back that patient, have them come in, take a look again, and let's refer that patient. You know, and structure it. That's just a, a sample, easy conversation. But So often hygienists have that happen to them. Oh, it doesn't look like anything. We'll watch it.
0: So let's say, you know, I am seeing a patient and I see something. How do I go about documenting what I see and bringing it up to the doctor when they come into the operatory? So documentation,
1: you know, I believe in a template and I have a sample template that I use in my courses just an easy template where everything's there so you can check is it intraoral or extraoral? you know intraoral is you know the location of it the size all of that um, is it ulcerated is it pedunculated you know what is it and have all of those terms right there for you to just put a check because I know sometimes I would be like what's What's that term I'm looking for? Oh yeah, pedunculated, right? So just to have all of that and being able to check that. Always take a photo. Always, always, always take a photo. That's that's the best. And be specific where that lesion is. If it's on the tongue, don't say right side. Is it lateral border? Is it ventral? Is it anterior, middle, or posterior third? Exactly where is it? in case it's somebody else that's doing the follow-up. So document that. And then what to say to the dentist when they come in, you know, with my dentist, I would just say something like, you know, um, Dr. So-and-so on the head and neck exam, I identified this, I'd like you to take a look at it. You know, because I've got examples in my course, too, of things that have been identified, especially a lot of my photos come from Lanny McBeth. You know, Lanny, she was AOD with you um, this last year. It's not always cancer. So we don't even need to mention cancer. We're doing an oral cancer screening, but sometimes what we identify isn't always cancer. Um, So we don't want to say that because we don't know for sure. We're not diagnosing in the chair. We're identifying abnormalities, anything unusual, and referring.
0: When it does get referred, um, who are you referring to? And what is that process like for the patient in case they were to ask, okay, well, what does this referral mean? And where am I going?
1: Yeah. So here in Colorado and who I've worked with, I work with oral surgeons, ENTs, and also um, head and neck surgeons. So the head and neck surgeon, he doesn't wanna see anything unless absolutely it's in that oral pharynx and, and you know, it's something. we We know, we usually know, right? We're not diagnosing, but we usually know especially when there's a CBCT or radiographs oral surgeons I refer the lesions in the anterior portion of the mouth ENT's here I refer any abnormalities in the oral pharynx and or those signs and symptoms associated with head and neck oral oral pharyngeal cancer like difficulty swallowing a persistent sore throat um a persistent swollen lymph node, all of those different things that go along with that, those will go to the ENT. So, have an oral surgeon, ENTs, a head and neck surgeon, if there is one in the area, and meet with them. What do they want to see? You know, what does that oral surgeon want to see? What does the ENT want to see? And then you've made those relationships, you can refer them. And as far as saying to the patient, it's, you know, what we know now is anything that we identify that's persistent deserves a referral for further investigation to the appropriate specialist. So we're referring you to Dr. So-and-so. And then saying right there, could we help you make that appointment right now? You know, because oftentimes you give them the slip of paper they don't, they don't do it. Right. <laughs> they don't follow up. And so helping them, then you want to stay in touch with that doctor you've referred to. Has that patient made that appointment? And If not follow up.
0: When they go to see the specialist, is it usually something that is biopsied and then that's how they get the results from it?
1: Yeah. In fact, I would say on the referral I'm requesting a biopsy. I ha- I've heard all kinds of stories being in this world for the length of time that I have. I heard a story from a hygienist. Actually, we met at RDH Under One Roof, and she shared a story of her hygiene friend, colleague, who had a lesion on the side of her tongue. Their dentist took a look at it and said, oh, it's nothing. So nothing was done. It persisted for a few more months. Oh, why don't you go down to Bob? You know, my oral surgeon friend that we always refer to. Bob, the oral surgeon took a look at it. Oh, it's nothing. Well, that hygienist lost her life to oral cancer. So that story to say, when you refer, you're asking for a biopsy to be done. Yeah, you've asked for the biopsy. You've put it on the referral and you've documented that in your notes we've done our part as a dentist and dental hygienist we've identified it after the screening during the screening we've made the referral we we have requested the biopsy we're handing it off to the next appropriate specialist now if they choose not to do the biopsy that's on them but they should because that's being requested of them and if you're just my my personal thoughts if you're referring to an oral surgeon and they don't want to do a biopsy, maybe you better find a different oral surgeon to refer to. Because we're losing lives, Brett. You know, it's great that we save teeth, it's great to save a tooth, but we're talking about saving a life. And you know what? If the biopsy comes back negative or dysplasia, hey, great. We want to know that it was nothing. If it comes back cancer, then we know.
0: Is there a, another healthcare provider that you know of that provides patients with oral cancer screenings on a regular basis?
1: I think ENTs typically do. I don't know if we could say it's a regular basis. Um, because I don't know if they do it on every new patient that they see or Based on signs and symptoms of referring of a patient that's been referred to them,
0: so hygienists and dentists are really the ones that are at the forefront of providing Mm -hmm. patients with an oral cancer screening.
1: Yeah, I've worked in medical dental integration here in Colorado um, with medical providers, and you know they'll look in the throat, they'll have the patient open and say ah and look in the throat, but they're not doing that um, comprehensive screening.
0: I think for us as hygienists, that's something to really notate and take seriously and realize that we're the ones that are seeing these patients at least two times per year and seeing them for a longer period of time in the dental office than a dentist is for the exam or a restorative procedure. So we really have a duty to provide our patients with this service every every visit, every time exactly i
1: mean what if we went into our obgyn they were running late they had a lot of things on their plate and they said oh susan you know gosh we'll do we'll do that breast exam next time that would blow our mind right what do you mean you're not going to do the breast exam <laughs> you know that's part of it that's we should equate that to to our appointments I mean, it's oral cancer. It's on the rise. It's on the rise because of HPV, but also, Britt, where we're seeing an increase in oral cancers is in the younger population, and when they say younger, it's about 40 and under with no known etiology. It's not HPV. These patients aren't tobacco users, and they're not heavy drinkers. They don't know what's happening. There's research, is it a genetic defect? Is there something else that's going on? But we're seeing an increase in oral cancer on the tongue. So that's the middle third of the tongue and the anterior third, because that posterior third base of tongue is the oral pharynx. And that's where HPV presents most. So the mobile tongue, we're seeing an increase in oral cancers, younger population, no known etiology, seeing it a little bit more in females than males. So when you get that um, 18, 19-year-old and even younger person, even in 20s, a lot of them aren't getting screened because they're quote, not at high risk. Uh, I have a case that I show in my oral cancer courses. Caitlin, age 19, never had an oral cancer screening, had a persistent lesion on the side of her tongue, was told it's nothing. By the time it was finally diagnosed, stage three squamous cell carcinoma, lateral border of her tongue, age 19. I wanna say, to all of our dental colleagues out there listening, and I say this in my course, we talk about this for our patients, but we are not immune to this cancer. We are not get screened. I ask in my courses, who all has been screened here? Who's had a thorough, visual and tactile, extra oral, intraoral evaluation in the last year. And the last group I was with, nobody, nobody. The group before that of over a hundred, maybe five. The group before that of close to 500, maybe 10.
0: A lot of the times we're the last one to get in the chair for exactly. the shortest the shortest amount of time, right? We have exactly. a spare minute, and a lot of that stuff is getting skipped for us. That's definitely right. not something we really think about. Yeah,
1: because I know in my office with um one of the hygienists I worked with, it was oh my gosh, Margaret, you've got a cancellation and I've got one. Let's clean our teeth real quick. Yeah. So what we cleaned our teeth real quick, right? And that's what was done. So my call to action for um, offices that I work with and at events I speak at, the first call to action is to have a team meeting and everybody gets screened. That's, and that's the first place to start in getting confident in this screening if you're not doing it, you know, and work with somebody like myself and, and get confident, because when we're confident, we're thorough, and deficient, right?
0: And I can say too, from uh, gaining confidence with providing patients with hypertension screenings and airway evaluations, it only gets better the more that you practice it. And that applies to oral cancer screenings as well.
1: Exactly. And, you know, talking about airway. So I took a myofunctional training and airway training we're looking at the same structures and we can do these while we're, we're telling them we're doing an oral cancer screening i'm i'm evaluating that airway i'm looking for myofunctional disorders at the same time i'm also looking for at the hard structures the teeth when i'm in there are there fractured teeth what's you know the restorations look like what do i need to identify in that way to let the dentist know as well so we can do all of that at the same time
0: a two for one yep yeah Yep. well Susan thank you so much for sharing all of this information I would love if you would let everybody know uh, where they can best contact you at and then uh, in the description of this episode I will also put all your contact information and uh, your course info as well Oh, thank you, Britt. They can email
1: me at oralcancerconsulting at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. I don't have my handles right in front of me. I should know them, right? But I, <laughs>
0: That's okay. I'll put them um, in the box. Yeah. And, you know, reach out. Well, thank you so much. And and thank you for being an advocate for our profession and also for our patients. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share your knowledge.
1: Oh, Britt, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening. This is the Brush with Britt podcast.